Jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where I interview incredible entrepreneurs who have achieved success by embracing their multi-passionate selves and using their neurodivergence as a tool to grow their business. I'm your host, Cheryl Woodhouse, and I'm here today with Briar Harvey, who's going to share more about how they got started, the biggest decisions they believe led them to success, and what they want to share with other neurodiverse entrepreneurs coming up behind them. Now, Briar is uh, someone I consider to be a friend and also a storyteller and systems witch. Uh, she helps neurodiverse folks, people with ADHD, autism, chronic depression, anxiety, and all the fun stuff to take their big ideas and turn them into a plan. You can stream her podcasts, Ask Briar, and Latchkey Movies everywhere and find her at briarharvey.com. So, hi! I'm so hi. excited Yes, I'm so excited we could finally do this. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely been a long time coming yes it absolutely has and i can't believe we haven't done this sooner but it's happening now and this is going to be an amazing episode so why don't we start off um tell us a little bit about your business like what exactly is a systems witch (laughs) so i do back-end tech management project management uh integrations, automations, making everything work on the tech side. The reality is though, that when you build your operation systems correctly, it saves you time. It's, I think that if you build your foundational operational systems first and do it well, you can actually probably cut your hours in half, most entrepreneurs. That sounds really attractive, cutting hours in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that, do you find that's the biggest thing that people are after when they talk to you is reducing their time or? No, that's, that's just the fringe benefit. The, the people come to me because they can't find that one document or that one proposal or they got fired by a client because there was no onboarding system right yeah that kind of stuff is rough that's definitely systems problems for sure okay how did you get started doing that so i have been in business for 12 years now and i started with a physical product it was um, bespoke massage oils and personal lubricants and then I started coaching from that, and then I had a traumatic loss and blew up that business entirely, and when I came back, I was ghostwriting and doing back-end course design for people that I knew before, and now it's me doing the same thing just a little bit more out front so it's making the things work i'm good at making the pieces fit together yeah and that's that's a really special skill for neurodivergent people to have like yeah it's it's usually something we can't do for ourselves but it takes a special breed of neurodivergent person to be able to do it for other people because i personally am the hot mess express in this department Now, I have to be honest, my very first hire was an ops manager because I knew that 
while I am really good at doing these things for other people, I am the hot mess express in my own business. There are barefooted cobblers, children amok over here. Like I needed somebody, I, I literally call her my briar wrangler. She keeps me in line. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you like, did you just kind of stumble into doing this for the people that you were working with? Was there a natural progression? Could you point to a moment? Well, the thing about creating a course is that it seems very straightforward. Like people are like, I'm going to make a course. I'm going to capitalize on that passive income, baby. And I'm like, okay, great. And how are we getting the people there? And what emails are we going to send to them? And how do we get them from the checkout page to whatever group platform or membership platform that you're wanting to use? And nobody ever had the answers to those questions. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of myths out there about passive income, for sure. I know my journey into the land of courses has been the most active year, <laughs> a year and a half so far of my professional career. Definitely mm -hmm. not as passive even as providing services, because when you provide services, you get paid for them reliably. When you get the long-term projects going, you get paid for them consistently. This is starting over every month with the courses and things, and people don't realize that. We call it shelf-stable income as opposed to passive income, because once you build it, you can like package it up and put it on a shelf and replicate sales. But there's nothing passive about this process. And I think, especially for neurodiverse folks, that's such a really dangerous thing to say, hey, passive income, because we expect some honesty in that phrase, passive income. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah. And something that was on my mind recently after talking with one of our peers, a fellow neurodivergent person, they were talking about the myth of passive income. And it's the fact that it's so attractive to neurodivergent people, because the way that we're taught to market ourselves for the active income requires so much vulnerability. It requires authenticity. It requires socializing and being personable and making pitches and proposals and taking risks. And these are all things that we've been taught our whole lives that we're doing wrong. <laughs> right, right. Which yeah. makes launching for us super vulnerable. So the idea of just putting something up on the internet and letting people buy it without having to take those risks sounds like the perfect fit, but it's a mirage. Because the reality is, is that it takes exactly the same amount of effort to sell a $20 product as to sell a $2,000 product as to sell a $20,000 product. Yes, just different value propositions. Right, same but, but same effort. So there's a disconnect when we hear passive income and I can just put it out there and people will come that they will not come. They will not come. Yeah. You have to go out and get them and wrangle them and bring them in. And you help things not break when you do that. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. Do you have a diagnosis? Are you self-diagnosed? Talk a little bit about that. 
So I was diagnosed as bipolar when I was 16. I added generalized anxiety when I was 19. Um, I have an official PTSD diagnosis that happened after my son died eight years ago. Um, I am working on a formalized ADHD and autism diagnosis because my therapist this year finally recommended, he's like, I think, I think you need to go and get these. Now, my children, my oldest will be 21 this year. She is autistic. My middle child is ADHD with dyslexia. And my youngest is autistic. So it's reasonable. It's just hysterical to me that it took me 20 years of having an autistic child before I went, oh, huh, maybe that's me. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that happening in the world right now, though, because we were never told. We were all told it was something else, right? Right. And honestly, I am, I am bipolar one and I have had mania. For most of the women I know with bipolar 2 diagnoses, I actually strongly encourage them to pursue autism diagnoses at this age. Yeah, as someone who got a bipolar 2 diagnosis at the same age you got your bipolar 1 diagnosis, I still can't do things even when I'm feeling good and I'm still impulsive even when I'm sad, which tells me that it's not two right. opposite, <laughs> two opposite right. moods. It's consistent executive dysfunction and spastic behavior. <laughs> yeah. And when we talk about mania in particular, it's, it's not actually something that I think most of our peers are truly experiencing. There's not that Kanye West, I am God and can do no wrong thing going on. For most of these women, I know when I'm manic, I don't sleep, I don't eat, and I work for 22 hours a day. Like, it's mania. I can feel it. There's a huge, huge difference between that and I think autistic requirements, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, autism as a diagnosis doesn't resonate, but ADHD very specifically does. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's very interesting how the traits overlap. It's interesting that you have do you have both diagnoses or are you still like in the process? Still in the process. Um my my therapist suspects both ADHD and autism. What I have learned about those, especially comorbidly, is that when ADHD and autism are present, especially in girls, they are hyperverbal from a very young age. So they miss all of those markers, but have all of the sensory issues and the social deficits that are standard with autism yeah i could see that i could see that for sure um i know i asked this question when we booked this and your response was it hasn't it's actually held me back but i'm curious since you've had some time to think about that question 
Is there any way that being neurodivergent has helped you succeed? So I think my ability to see and recognize patterns is absolutely why I am here, why I have the job that I have, because I can see and diagnose those kinds of problems in other people's businesses. And I don't, this one's rough for me because like, I, I dislike the neurodiversity is my superpower crowd because I really think that negates the medical, mental health issues that we're all actually experiencing as though it's something that we can just get over. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And we're definitely not trying to do any bypassing here because it's a struggle and it holds you back in a lot of ways. I think with the question, what I try to accomplish is in light of all the stuff that goes wrong as a result of having this, are there any silver linings? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. For me, my ability to see the points in the network and how they work and how they connect, I have, and it's, it's not just with businesses, I see that with people too. Like I'm constantly making introductions between two people who I've met one over here and one over here. And I'm like, you two people need to know each other. It will be a beautiful relationship. And they're like, oh, thanks, Briar. Yeah, absolutely. I like to say we're, we're problem spotters as much as we're problem solvers. We're really good yes. at diagnosing things because of the patterns. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. If you were to look back since you started your business 12 years ago, um, were there any pivotal moments or decisions that you made that you believe made you more successful? Well, I'm very old in internet business years now. And there have been a lot of very pivotal things along the way. But I think the thing that's been most important for me was to recognize that I didn't want to recreate corporate. I didn't want to recreate the businesses that I didn't fit in. And so it's always been very important to me to work around my needs and the things that matter to me and to structurally reject those capitalistic guideposts that tell us you must do things in this way. And in entrepreneurship, that's hustle culture, right? Like it's, it may not be the corporatism we left behind, but it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's different master in a different set of clothes. Yes. And there's, there's a lot of unlearning and unpacking that goes into yes. doing that too, right? Like, mm -hmm share some of that journey with us. I know there's a lot of people listening who've been on my webinars and we've talked about that, like the, the de-working process is what I call it. So my daughter who, again, 21 this year, when she was diagnosed at the age of six, she was still fully nonverbal. And the fact that it took us six years to get a diagnosis for this child because she was a girl. Girls aren't autistic, weren't autistic 15 years ago, definitely weren't 40 years ago 
when I was a child. And when she was diagnosed, we were living in Phoenix, Arizona. The special education program was still 100% segregated. And they wanted us to send her to this school that I swear to God, it felt like a prison. And we walked in, there were one teacher, one parapro per classroom, 40 students, half of whom spoke English as a second language or not at all. And I was like, I can't, I can't send this kid here. She won't thrive. She will not succeed. I, I, I couldn't, as a parent, I couldn't do it. And so we decided to homeschool, unschool technically, but the reality is, is that I have built everything in my life around that decision, the need to be able to support my kids in their education because the school system wasn't going to do it for them. Yeah, 100%. And having worked for several years very closely with K-12 education, I can say a lot of parents make the same decision and the school boards are quite mad about it because they lose a lot of funding by not properly supporting children with different needs. The reality is that the neurodivergent community is not going away. There are an estimated one in five of us is neurodiverse in some way. And I think those numbers are probably low, given the fact that the average female diagnosis for autism does not happen until the age of 42. There's probably a whole lot more people out there who were just weirdos and freaks and geeks as children who are neurodiverse and have been wholly unsupported this whole time. Yes, because we didn't pass the bar we weren't we weren't autistic enough oh right God, how i hate that right oh, that's such an awful phrase um yeah no i hear you absolutely okay if you could share one thing with other people like you who are trying to build a business or trying to grow their business what would you say give yourself space and grace there is, you're never going to get it right the first time. You're going to have to reiterate a shit ton of times. You're going to feel like a massive failure at least a dozen times a day in your business. That's just kind of the reality. So you have to believe that this is just the way it's supposed to be and that you are going to get through it and that you are worthy of success. I think one of the things that we are best at is beating ourselves up for not doing it right. And that's social in a lot of cases. It's learned and it can be unlearned. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Okay. 
I mentioned your website at the beginning, briarharvey.com. If people want to learn more about you or pick up a resource from you, something to help them organize their business for their brain the way that you do, where can they find it? So on my website, briarharvey.com, there's a button right up in the upper right-hand corner, my other right, you know, <laughs> that says resources. They're primarily built out in Notion because that is where my brain operates best but um some of them are pdfs as well and i have a whole bunch of different little systems that i have built over the years for things like what to eat on five seconds notice when you can't be fucked to go to the kitchen to what to do when you want to start pitching publications just all sorts of fun stuff very nice. I might go pick up that resource for myself. <laughs> awesome. Well, plus there's a newsletter with memes. So like, yes, I have the memes. seen the memes. The, the memes, memes are worth well. it. <laughs> I am a professional meme lord. And honestly, for me, I have to say that is a big functional part of my business. Like, don't don't sell your personality short. I like memes. I post good memes. Memes make me money. It's just. And yeah. Your meme game is on point too. So. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been great, Briar. I really, I really appreciate having you on here. I appreciate getting a little kind of window into what you've created. Um, I hope people go check out your resource, briarharvey.com, button up in the other right-hand corner. Um, yeah, get all the resources, all the things, and see how you organize stuff in Notion, because that's a tool I could never make work for my brain. So I'm just curious, right? It's so <laughs> fascinating to me how we all really have such different project management needs. And I think that what's key with project management is that you use the tool that you will actually use. Yep. Not the one you think looks good or the one that everybody else is using, the one that you will actually use. Exactly why I switched from Notion to ClickUp. <laughs> right, like yeah. for some, and I can't use ClickUp to save yeah. my life. It's the, I look at it and go, what the fuck is wrong with this thing? It's not <laughs> functional. I don't know how to make it go. Yeah. Yep. I, I had the same thing with Notion. So mm -hmm. it's what works for you that you'll actually use. That is probably the biggest gem out of this whole interview. It's like, don't make yourself do things that don't work for you just because you think you should. <laughs> and that's true in every facet of your business. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, this has been another episode of Master of None. If you liked this, make sure that you follow us and like us and subscribe to us on all the platforms because, well, it helps our content get pushed out more and make those special lists that get us pushed out even farther so more people get to listen to these awesome podcasts. Um, also make sure that whatever description you get to read for this podcast, you check out the links in the description uh, because there's a link to our Facebook group where we sometimes do Q&A following these episodes. So make sure you're in there, you've joined and you can do that. Uh, we upload every Thursday and I hope you listen to the next one.